look at somebody and say, it's good to see you. Come on, don't lie to them like you did last week. Mean it this time, all right? Hey, we're so glad that you're here. Welcome to Crossroads Church. My name's Sam. I have the great privilege of being the lead pastor here at Crossroads. And what that means is every time I have the opportunity, I try to tell the greatest story ever told. Now, not because I'm some great communicator or it's even my story, but I believe this story is a story about Jesus. And Jesus is the greatest person to ever walk the face of the planet. I actually believe he's more than just a person. I believe he's God in the flesh. And so if you've ever asked the question, what is God like? You don't have to look any further than the person of Jesus. And we believe the Bible is this story story about Jesus. We say this around here. We say it's all about Jesus. We wrote it on the wall here, and don't worry, Fred and Lompoc, we're going to write it on the wall as well. Uh, so that means you're going to need a Bible uh, to follow along. And so if you forgot your Bible, one of our ushers will help you out at both campuses here and in Lompoc. You can just slip up your hand, and they'll get one to you. And then if you don't have a Bible, take that one. Read it every single day, because every time you do, you get to meet with Jesus. Amen? Three of you think that? Uh, every time you read the Bible, you get to meet with Jesus. Amen? Amen. Amen. That's better. Hey, we're so glad you're joining us at the Lompoc campus. Maybe you didn't know that there are people uh, joining right now at uh, uh, 213 North J Street. There's a crowd of people at the Lompoc campus. We're so glad uh, that you're joining us. And so since I'm on a big screen over there, let me just get my attire out of the way. This is not a bit. This is not going to be a joke for those of you aware of how I dress on most occasions. Uh, you're like, that's going to tie in somewhere later. So let me just remove that suspense. It ties in nowhere. Okay. Uh, I just decided that the old school guy had it made. They didn't have to wear something different every week. They could have uh, three shirts, two ties, and two suits, and you never knew that they were wearing the same thing every week. And so uh, I decided to mix it up a little bit, and I, I look back on some pictures of the day I was voted in as lead pastor here seven years ago. I had on the exact same outfit, so we're just throwing it back, right? And uh, I just had to invest in something different, right? Uh, that, that, came, that came out cheesy in both services. And uh, anyways, so hey, turn in your Bible to the Gospel of John, John chapter number 18. Um, if you're new to the scriptures, you can start in the right and turn left and you'll find it uh, much faster. And uh, we're going to be in John chapter 18, starting in verse 26. And you can say amen when you're there. John 18, chapter 26. Are you there? Amen? Amen. Amen. Then they led Jesus from the house of Caiaphas to the governor's headquarters. It was early morning. They themselves did not enter the governor's headquarters so that they would not be defiled but could eat the Passover. So Pilate went outside to them and said, What accusation do you bring against this man? They answered him, If this man were not doing evil, we would not have delivered him over to you. Notice that they want him to appeal to their authority, not to actual accusations. Just trust us. We know what we're doing. And yet uh, they say to them, take him for yourself, or Pilate says, take him for yourself and judge him by your own law. The Jews said to him, it is not lawful for us to put anyone to death. This was to fulfill the word that Jesus had spoken to show by what kind of death he was going to die. Verse 33, so Pilate entered, uh, entered his headquarters again and called Jesus and said to him, are you the king of the Jews? Jesus answered, 
Do you say this on your own accord, or did others say this to you about me? Pilate answered, Am I a Jew? Your own nation and chief of priests have delivered you over to me. What have you done? Jesus answered, My kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom were of this world, my servants would have been fighting that I might not be delivered over to the Jews. But my kingdom is not of this world. If you have the ability, you should underline that. You should highlight it. You should, you should uh, put it to memory, these words of Jesus. Uh, then Pilate said, so you are a king. So you are a king. Jesus answered, you say that I'm a king. For this purpose, I was born. And for this purpose, I have come into the world. If the person of Jesus is saying, this is my purpose, we should listen. We should look up. We should, we should commit this to memory. He says, for this purpose, I was born. And for this purpose, I have come into the world to bear witness to the truth. Everyone who is of the truth listens to my voice. Pilate said to him, what is truth? What is truth? After he had said this, he went back outside to the Jews and told them, I find no guilt in him, but you have a custom that I should release one man for you at the Passover. So do you want me to release to you the king of the Jews? So they cried out again, not this man, but Barabbas. Now Barabbas was a robber. Will you pray with me? Gracious Heavenly Father, we love you and we thank you for who you are and who you are to us. I ask you that you help us understand that your word penetrates into all areas of our lives and that nothing's off limits and we stand and face the truth and we look to you and we ask you that you help us and shape us and mold us into who you've called us to be for your purpose and let everything we say and everything we do bring glory to you and good to this valley and everyone said amen. Man, here we are in the story at the trial of Jesus. John makes this one of the centerpieces of the last parts, the climax of the story, and he gives more detail about the the trial of with Pilate than any of the other gospels. And he puts it right after we see this scenario with Peter where Peter denies the person of Jesus. We move from Peter to Pilate. Last week we talked about Peter's denial. And we talked about how oftentimes we can identify with Peter, that his denial is not wrapped up in his, um, in his fear. He's not a coward, but he's confused. He's confused because he's confronted and conflicted with the person of Jesus. See, conflict in your life will cause you to take inventory of who you are and what you believe. We talked about our belief comes from our confession. What we believe will actually come out of our mouths and that will lead us. Our beliefs will drive our behavior and what we say. And Peter's wrapped up in this. Sometimes Peter gets a bad rap because we hear of his denial and that Jesus actually predicts his denial even after his confidence. I mean, Peter's the one who gets the answer right when people say, who do you say that I am? And he says, you're the Christ, the son of the living God. And Jesus says to Peter, flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my father, which is in heaven. But what he thinks Jesus has set out to do and what he will do are at odds with one another. 
what he wants Jesus to do and what he needs Jesus to do are different. How many of you, you've wanted things from Jesus, but what you needed was something different? Someone say amen to that. And that's true. You ever got what you wanted and then realized you didn't want that in the first place? You ever realize that those, those wishes and those wants sometimes can backfire on you? And just like a father who loves his kids, even though they ask and they want it, and they, they try to convince you, I want it, I want it, I want it. And you're like, no, right? Because I love you, the answer is no. And oftentimes that's what it is with the person of Jesus. And yet Peter has good reason to want certain things from Jesus. Peter, Peter is, has been a slave under, under Roman control, and they, they've been a province of Rome, and they've been allowed to go along as long as they get along, but at any time they ruffle any feathers, as long as there's no insurrection, as long as there's, there's no one trying to move out of line. I mean, I mean the government there uh, over all of Jerusalem and Galilee, the Roman Empire has no limit to its reach. The Roman Empire rules the known world. And if you think you have problems with your government, your government does not sanction a celebration of death and destruction and murder. Could you imagine a culture where like, hey, let's get the kids together. Hey, honey, listen, I know he's, he's nearly 13. It's time that he sees the greatness of the Colosseum. But, but honey, don't they, it, this, that's gruesome. Well, he better get used to it because this is his life. This is his lot. We might as well be able to grab the kids and put them in minivan and grab some corn dogs and some popcorn and watch murder and death. Do you think we got problems today, friends? Yet the Roman Empire, the Roman Colosseum, this is the time of Jesus. And yet this is the culture and it's in contrast to what they believe. And yet Peter has good cause to go, man, we should overthrow that. We should put a stop to this. Man, they're dipping into my pocket. They're, they're, they, keep, uh, they, they keep messing with my business. They even contract people who are of us, other Jews to tax us and they know us and we can't even get away with it. We should put it into it. And he starts following this Jesus who does miraculous things. He heals people. I, I, I mean, he raises the dead. And, and the rumor was that maybe the young boy and the young girl that he raised from the dead, maybe they were merely sleeping. But, he, man, it, it, you couldn't stop the rumors. Did you hear about his buddy Lazarus? And if you're reading the Shakespeare version of the Bible, it would have said he nearly stinketh by now. Lazarus is put in the tomb and it literally says, man, don't go over there, Jesus. He, he clearly stinketh by now. Four days in the tomb, he tells them to remove the stone away and he calls Lazarus, come forth. And out of the tomb, his friend comes in grave clothes. He says, listen, take his grave clothes off. We have dinner prepared. Peter sees this. 
And he knows the rules of engagement. If they try to hurt us, he can heal us. If they try to cut off our food supply, did you see and hear what he did with a a kid's lunchable lunchbox? He fed 5,000 men, not counting women and children. And, and, And listen, that means they cannot stop us. Let's storm the gates. Let's go to Jerusalem. So when Jesus looks at Peter after he says, you're the Christ, the son of the living God. Yeah, that's right, Peter. My father in heaven has revealed it to you, but you don't don't understand the plan. Have you ever found that your plan were, was at odds with God's plan? Let me help you out. The answer is yes, right? And yet, why is that? Because my perspective is limited. My reach is limited. I can't understand and know all things and be at all places at all times. And yet, oftentimes, let's be honest, we put our phone in our hand. We start, we start thinking we got the whole world in our hands, don't we? We're just like, I got the whole world in my... I know everything you don't, right? Amen. Three, this side of the room, what's wrong with you people, right? Amen. You don't know everything, and your perspective is limited, and so your ways are not God's ways, amen? Your thoughts are not God's thoughts, amen? And at times there are odds, and you can understand that. You can understand, and, and it, 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 it's, it's in hindsight, everything is clear. You, you ever had conversations, and you didn't fully get it, but then when it happened and you saw it, and you're like, oh, that's what they were talking about. Over and over, we see the disciples and the person of Peter conflicted about even the very things Jesus is going to say. After Peter says, you're the Christ, the son of the living God, Jesus says, I'm going to go to Jerusalem and suffer and die. And he goes, yeah, hey, hey, hey. You can't do that. No, no, that's not the plan. And Jesus looks at Peter after he gives him the nickname Pete, which means rock, calls him Rocky, right? Wouldn't you like to have a nickname Rocky by Jesus? And then right after he calls him Satan. That's a bad day, friend. Let's be honest. Going from from Rocky to Satan because he says, listen, Satan, your words are an offense to me. Get behind me. Peter is beginning to... uh, pontificate on what his ideas are versus what God's ideas are. And even confronted with the truth, he still ignores the person of Jesus. But yet we can have sympathy for Peter because he's been following Jesus. And yet we don't realize that John puts the story of Peter right next to the story of Pilate, who's in the exact same Both, first to the Jew, then to the Greek, confronted with the truth of who Jesus is. Peter wants a revolution, and Jesus is trying to reveal to him just who he is. Peter wants Jesus to change the poverty of his hand, but but Jesus wants to change the poverty of Peter's heart. See, because it doesn't matter what you have in your hand. And we're often focused on what's in our hand, right? We want to have more, hold more, amen, drive more. That's a trick. None of you said amen, but yet you know, you're like, hey, baby, I think we need a new vehicle. Didn't, didn't you think? Right, here's just kind of, we need to switch it up. Uh, no, I'm talking to the wrong room, right? This is the first service. It's in Lompoc. You guys know what I'm talking about, right? And, and yet, and yet we want to hold more, but here's the reality. Even when we have more, if, if, if our heart is bankrupt, we're never able to use what we have to the fullest ability of what we've been called to do. It's why people who win the lottery are oftentimes worse off than they were before they won the lottery, and yet some of us still want to win the lottery, don't we? 
And yet Jesus is trying to show us that you could have everything and still live in such a way as if you had nothing. And you could look on any tabloid and you could scroll any social media feed and you can hear the woes of the haves versus the have-nots. And you've met people who have everything and act as if they have no joy, no peace no resolve, any ripple in the fray, man, any ripple in their life, man, they realize they don't have much to stand on. See, Jesus is not trying to change what you have. He's trying to change who you are. He doesn't want you to have more. He wants you to be more. Someone say amen to that. That's good preaching. Thank you, Pastor Sam. I know Lompoc's losing their mind right now. Amazing. <laughs> And yet, the reality is, is Jesus came to change our hearts, not just what's in our hands. But Peter doesn't get that, and for good cause. Many of us may think we're justified in our frustrations, and our prayer life reflects our desires. And our prayer life reveals to us what we say reveals what we actually believe. And so begin to measure what you say versus what you believe and what you ask for. Ask for him to reveal who he is and what he's doing, not just tell him and pontificate on all of your plans. Listen, Jesus, I have some ideas. Yet that's Peter. And what's revealed to us, the inventory comes through the conflict. When you're in conflict, all of a sudden it will reveal to you just who you are and what you believe. And at the garden, when, when Roman soldiers come alongside of, of the palace or the, or the temple guards and the high priests and the officials, they come together, a legion of men to arrest Jesus. And yet Peter takes a sword and swings first. This fisherman strikes Marines first. Can I tell you that that is not being a coward, friend? Jesus stops him, says, no, put your sword back in your sheath. You're confused about what I'm here to do. And yet so many of us, maybe that would be us. Yet in that moment, he's confronted and conflicted. And now it's revealed that Peter, through all these three and a half years, is confused about who Jesus is and what he's there to do. And so he hides in the shadows, hearing these the trial. And we know that Peter then denies that he ever knew Jesus three times. And Jesus predicted it. Peter says, no, listen, even, even if all these guys, he's looking at Bart, like, you'll be out first, you know? guy, apologies to anybody named Bart, and uh, he's looking at at Matt, and he's looking at these guys, go, look, you'll fall away, and he literally says to Jesus, if all of these fall away, not me, if all these fall away, I'll even go to my death, and Jesus goes, will you? We'll see. When push comes to shove, when conflict is confronting you, we'll take inventory. But Peter, before the, the rooster crows, you will deny me three times. And that's the story, three different times. He, he has the, the girl who's at the door, says, aren't you one of them? No, not me. He goes to warm his hands by a fire. Isn't that you? And the gospels will tell us on the third time, he curses that he ever even knew Jesus. He says, to hell with you. I didn't even know him. He has to change because they, they identify him by the way he talks and not even his accent. All right, all right, all right. Imagine that accusation. 
Wouldn't you love for people to accuse you of being a Jesus follower by the way you spoke? Right, you're like, you're like one of those Christian people. I can tell by the way you talk. Man, what, a, what an accusation. What, what are we confronted with? What, uh, what an accusation that, Jesus will, or that Peter will deny that he ever even knew Jesus. Then rush into the story of Pilate. John shows us comp- Peter's confronted, conflicted, and comes up bankrupt. Then Pontius Pilate. Pilate, the Roman governor who can find fault with anybody. He's a decisive man. He's a critical man. He's been dealing with riots. He's been, he's been dealing with insurrection. And he's a decisive man. But standing there is someone that he's never seen quite stand like that in his presence. You know what it's like to be in front of an authority figure? Have to walk into the boss's office knowing that there's trouble coming. Hey, hey boss, you, you want to see me? Stand in front of a judge and watch your posture change. Stand in front of an officer. Hey, don't give me the ticket. You know, but, oh, man, I'm just, ah, I was just on my way to work. You know, I'm just trying to get by. You know what that's like, man. Your posture will change when you're in front of an authority figure. Yet the person of Jesus who's already been beaten, his face is becoming bruised. He's standing there. We know that he says the wrong thing and they strike him without cause. And now here's the the person of Jesus standing in front of the Roman governor who celebrates death, who at any moment can execute anyone for any reason. That's why they brought them, because they don't want to be blamed for it. They bring him to Pilate, and Pilate stands, but Jesus' posture is different than anyone else's posture. And he's heard the rumors There's even a story that his wife had a dream about him and says, you don't want nothing to do with this righteous man. And the man with authority is confronted and the worlds are turned upside down. He sees the person of Jesus standing in front of him, but his posture doesn't change. He stands with resolve. The Bible says like a lamb led to the slaughter, he didn't even open his mouth and complain and beg. And yet, Pilate's conflicted by the posture of Jesus. And he says to you, are you the king of the Jews? Are you the king of the Jews? Now, why does does Pilate even ask him? He knows what's true. He knows what's factual. He knows the kings they've conquered. He knows that Herod is the puppet king under Rome. He knows it's not a fact that Jesus is king. Why does he ask if he doesn't know there's more than what meets the eye with the person of Jesus? Why do you stand with resolve and authority and meekness, which is not weakness, but power under control? Why does he not flinch? Why does he not cower? Why does he not move in his posture? I've never seen this. Are you the king of the Jews? See, Pilate's already beginning to ask questions about what he sees, what facts he can hold and gather, and what is actually true. See, oftentimes the truth is different than the facts that we gather. See, there are things that can be factual, but it doesn't mean that it adds up to the truth. What do you mean, Pastor Sam? Aren't facts the truth? Well, the fact was the glove didn't fit, but the fact was the glove could have fit. That's a joke and very real. Amen. Man, that's why in a court of law, 
We have facts that add up to beyond a reasonable doubt, but it, but it, it inserts doubt because we don't quite know what is actually true, what happened. We have to gather information, and yet we already agreed our perspective is limited. Our scope is limited. We don't have all the facts, and we're still wrestling with what is true. Have you ever been there? You ever looked at one news story versus another news story, and you're like, man, this is a fact, but that... I don't know that that's all true. Anybody living in the same world I've been living in over the last two years, right? Come on, keep up, friends. All right, and and yet we look from one to the other and we can gather facts, but we're still wrestling with what is true. Pilate knows. He looks at Jesus and goes, are you the king of the Jews? He knows what is factual, but he's beginning to dig for the truth. And Jesus knows the wrestling match that he's having. So he then turns and says, do you say this on your own accord? Pilate, where did you come up with this? Did you you come up with this on your own? Did you say this on your own accord? Or did others say this about me? Pilate offended. He's offended. And he answers, am I a Jew? Your own nation and your chief of priests delivered you over to me. What have you done? I'm sure Pilate has never experienced something like this. He's the one doing the interrogation. I ask the questions here. What do you mean? He asked Jesus, are you the king of the Jews? And Jesus standing there beaten, chained in front of him says, did someone else tell you that? Did you say that on your own accord? Was it And then the defensiveness. Notice the posture of Pilate changes. He's the, am I a Jew? Man, I don't don't have anything to do with you people. They won't even come in my house. Notice this, the Pharisees and Sadducees. Maybe you get Pilate a bad rap, but the Sadducees and the Pharisees who delivered Jesus over to Pilate won't even enter into Pilate's house, lest they be defiled and can't go through their religious ritual. See, religion will always cause us to separate relationship. And yet Pilate is, he goes, Jesus walks into Pilate's court. He calls Jesus into his headquarters. He says, are you king of the Jews? Did they tell you to say that? Or did you say this by your own accord? What are you wrestling with? Pilate says, am I a Jew? And then he lets him know. He lets Jesus know. They delivered you over to me. He postures himself. He puts out his chest. Don't you realize they delivered you to me? I'm in charge here. Pilate, you don't seem to be acting in charge. You seem to be confronted with a man that you're puzzled by, that you're conflicted by. The truth is standing you there and looking you dead in the face. And you say, no, no, they delivered you over to me. What have you done? Jesus answers and says this, my kingdom is not of this world. It doesn't behave the same way. It's not like the structures, the hierarchies. My kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom were of this world, my servants would have been fighting that I might not be delivered over to the Jews. When the Bible translates Jews here, it does not mean an an ethnic group. It doesn't mean uh, the entire race of Jews. What he's talking about specifically is the religious leaders, that they would not be delivered over to the religious leaders. But my kingdom is not not of this world. He says something that is true and Pilate has to start wrestling with the facts. 
Jesus says, my kingdom is not of this world. All of a sudden, Jesus is revealing something that is beyond what meets the eye, what I can just sense and taste and touch and feel. And yet he's gripped with, is there truth beyond my perspective? Is there truth beyond what I can discover and gather and investigate on my own? And then he says, so you are a king. Jesus says, my kingdom is not of this world. If it were, my servants would have been fighting that I might not be delivered over to the religious leaders because my kingdom is not of this world. And now Pilate's confronted with the authority of Jesus, which transcends his authority. And he's right. He knows he's in charge. On the surface, he knows, wait a second, I'm Pilate. I'm a governor. I'm in charge of you. This kingdom's not of this world. Transcends your authority. All of a sudden, Pilate has to deal with every person who's ever been in a position seat of authority. Who's really in charge? Are you? Do you know what should be, what ought to be? Wrestling with, do I get to decide right and wrong on my own? He then points out, so you are a king. Now, why does he say that? He knows the facts, and yet he reiterates, not you claim to be a king. Why does Pilate say it that way? He doesn't say, so you, so you think you are? You think you are. Oh, you claim to be. You know what Pilate says to him? So you are a king. The most staunch, the most hardened, in one of the worst cultures in the history of the world, if you think that Jesus cannot reach, if someone is too far from his hand, if the truth will not pierce, the Bible says that his word is sharp. It's quick and it's powerful. It's sharper than any two-edged sword and it pierces and divides even to the asunders of the soul and the spirit and it will deal with the very intent of our hearts. This is Hebrews. And yet, he is the word embodied and what he says cuts to the quick and Pilate is conflicted even with his intent. So you are a king. Jesus answered and says, you say that I'm a king. You say, you're on to something. You say that I'm a king. For this purpose, I was born. And for this purpose, I've come into the world to bear witness of the truth. For this purpose. When Jesus says, this is the purpose, you go, hey, what's the purpose of Jesus? Maybe church culture and modern evangelical preachers have taught you that Jesus' purpose was to come and save you and love you. And that seems a little narcissistic, don't you think? Is the reality that Jesus saves? Yes. Is the reality that Jesus loves you? Yes. But he says, my purpose, and you got to wrestle with this. He says, my purpose, for this I came, and this is the purpose which I came into the world, and I bear witness of the truth. I'm the one who stands in contrast. I reveal something that is more than what meets the eye. He comes to bear witness of the truth. And here's what we've got to wrestle with, just like Pilate. What, Pilate then says to him, what is truth? And what a conversation we've been having in our culture. What is truth? 
How do I know beyond and what do I follow? What philosophies, what ideologies? How do I, how do I handle this? How do I deal with that? And you go, I don't, know, I don't know what to do. I don't know what is the right thing is usually what you'll say. I don't know what the right thing is to do. I don't know what I ought to do. I mean, even that very conversation says that there's some kind of law, there's some kind of truth in nature, this self-evident truth that is telling us what ought to be versus what is. C.S. Lewis deals, I didn't get to deal with this in the first service, but C.S. Lewis deals with this in Mere Christianity where he says, when we talk about the laws of nature, uh, we, we, maybe you, you talk about and you describe, science can describe what is, and they can observe they can't give you the meaning of or the why behind what actually is. And so you may say, this is, a, this is a good rock, or maybe you think it's a bad rock. Maybe it doesn't fit in your landscaping plan. You go, well, what is a rock? It just is. But the idea of this is a good or bad rock, or maybe a tree, a shade tree, maybe you say, that's a good tree. Man, that's a great tree. Why? Because it benefits you, but it's just a tree. It is what it is. It's followed the laws of nature and is a tree or is a rock. But when you talk about the law of nature in man, you don't talk about what is, you talk about what ought to be. You with me? When you talk about man and you say the law of nature, you say they ought not or they should be. And what you know is there a contrast with what man should be and what man actually is. Are you with me? This is law in nature. This is what I'm aware of, that intrinsically inside of me, I know there's right and wrong. I know what ought to be versus what it is. And if you are honest with yourself, you, it reveals to you that there is a contrast between what you know in and of yourself, how you ought to be versus how you really are. Somebody say, that's good preaching, Pastor Sam. Amen. I got it from C.S. Lewis, okay? And yet, this is exactly, Jesus lives in a way that shows us what ought to be. His life is here to reveal what is actually true. Because the reality is, is the whole world has been blind. What we're going to see over the next few weeks is we're going to look at Pilate's posture. We're going to look at his reaction. John puts this at the centerpiece of the entire uh, passion narrative. And over the next few weeks, we're going to deal with the trial of Jesus, the crucifixion. And ultimately, we know the story didn't end that way. He rose after the third day. He called his own shot and he pulled off Easter. You're going to be there, right? Amen. We're going to deal with this over the next few weeks. Where we have to stop is where Jesus says his life bears witness of what is true. And what we're going to find is the scriptures. Here's what's good news for you. Maybe you came in here today and, and maybe you got drug here. Uh, may, may, maybe a friend asked you to come and maybe your, your, your posture or your feelings were, man, I need to kind of get some things together before I go there. Here's the reality. Here's the good news. Here's the good news, friend. The Bible is a story about everyone else getting it wrong and one person getting it right. And that's good news for you and I, friend. Aren't you thankful? Amen. Aren't you thankful that the Bible does not mask the flaws of our heroes? 
that it will reveal to us just who Peter is, and then we've got to wrestle with who Pontius Pilate is confronted with the truth, and we have to wrestle with. The reality is, is, is before the resurrection, no one could see. All were blind. Isaiah would say, go tell them that they'll be ever seeing and never see. They'll be ever hearing but never hear. That ultimately everyone will be on one side of the cross. Everyone stands left. And then suspended through time and space is the sacrificial lamb of God. Everyone has went astray. No one has done good. And here before us is the sacrifice sacrificial lamb of God, the truth revealed to us. And that's how we view everything. That's why the song would say, I once was blind, but now I see. And this past week, uh, uh, I, I realized that my son comes up to me and he, he's confused about what it means for daddy to be colorblind. And I'm colorblind in reds and greens. And so he's, he was writing a note for me to put in my, so I was going on a trip. You're going to hear a little bit about that. I was going on a trip and he's going to write me a note. And he was using a red crayon, but he was worried that I wouldn't be able to read it right? He's like, hey, dad, can you read this? It's like, buddy, I can see red. That's not how it works. Let me show them. We, we pulled up. Uh, I don't know if you've seen this before. Let me give you an example of, of what I mean. Tell me what number you see. Just yell it out. Six. Uh, what about this number? Yeah. Come on, Lompoc. Let me hear you from there. What number is this? What about this number? <laughs> Some of you are looking at me just the same way they did to me at the optometrist when I was eight years old. And they were like, hey, look at this. I was like, yeah, I see all those dots. They're like, what number is it? And I was like, I don't see a number. They're like, make one up. I was like, 16. They're like, it's five. And I was like, you told me to make one up, right? <laughs> like, what do you mean? Like, here's the reality. Go back three slides. Go back, go back for, you have to remember what number's there? I can't see a number. There's no number. How many of you cannot see a number? My friends, my confidants, you understand me, friend. I don't see a number at all. And you're like, just make one up. Nah, right? Like, like the reality is, the reality is, is that people were blind and the number staring them straight in the face. Here's Jesus in front of Pilate. Through the chaos, through the mess, through the trial, through the arrest, Here's the truth, the number, standing them, staring them in the face. It's the number six. So you're like, no, no, Jesus is the number seven, right? Anyway, whatever. Kooks, right? Anyway, right? Okay, the, the number seven, the perfection. Number three, the number of God, whatever number. The truth is staring you in the face and no one can see it. Not Peter, not the disciples, not Mary. Not Pontius Pilate, but here's what he says. I've come to bear witness of the truth. There's something that you just can't see. It's staring you in the face. This is the reality of the person of Jesus, the person of God in the flesh. He is here to define. He says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. He is the very definition. Truth has a name. His name is Jesus. The question is, will I hear the truth? Will I respond to the truth? Will I follow the person of Jesus? Because the reality is, is Jesus is revealing to us this way, the way of what ought to be. 
And he came in such a way because he knows we don't have the ability to be the way we ought. So he takes our place. He dies in our place. He trades places with us. It's put on display as the crowd cries out for the robber Barabbas. Other translations will go in, or other, other gospels and the synoptics will go into detail about who Barabbas is. And what we can do is we can see a contrast, a very sermon illustration for all to see that Jesus will trade places with Barabbas. We're Barabbas. Everyone has fallen away. All stand in the seat of the guilty and the innocent trades places with the innocent. The tables are turned. What we realize is Jesus is in charge and the judge of the universe, the rightful judge. See, if you stand before a judge, you want that judge to be perfect and innocent and blameless. No shady deals in his quarters. It's all up to snuff. It's all plumb. It's all to par. You want a judge to be perfect, especially if he's going to be the one who judged the entire world. And yet this perfect, blameless judge allows himself to be judged by the wicked. This is the gospel. This is the place he stands and allows himself, allows Pilate. And yet it's Pilate says to us what is shocking when a government can find fault, especially a corrupt, wicked government, we can point fingers at everyone. Just know how that it is, that it's easy to find fault with others. It's never easy to find fault in yourself. Yet Pilate looks at Jesus, comes out and says, I find no guilt in him. I find no fault. The innocent this is who Jesus is. He is the truth. The question is, will we see and listen and will we follow? Will we allow him to judge our lives and tell us and show us what our lives are for, what they are meant for, when science can only tell you what is but not tell you why, and yet there are books that line every shelf and billion-dollar industry trying to help you with the meaning of the universe or find your purpose, and yet standing in contrast is the one who made you and loves you and says this kingdom, this purpose, this meaning that you have is not of this world. Will you listen and hear him and will you follow him? This past week, I, I, I went on a little trip I, 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 uh, for my birthday. Uh, I turned 35 this past week. That's right, I'm a grown man now, all right? <laughs> Those of you who've been here for a while, I grew up, okay? And I turned 35, and so me and a couple buddies went up to, uh, to Mammoth to, to snowboard this week. And, man, about the second day, I started itching, and I looked at my buddy, Kurt. I said, we got to go to the top, man. So we went to the main top of Mammoth. I'm talking the tip top. Well, let me show you a map. It's not quite the main top, but it was close, right? So I like to, I like to say that there's the main top. So if you see the main top, right there and and uh for those in Lompoc we're going to work on some side screens so that, that you don't just have this view and and you can still uh see what's going on we're going to work on that but bear with, with uh bear with us for this one just over to the right of the main top you'll see chairlift 23 and if you're watching online you'll be able to see it more clearly and then just to the left of that you see cornice bowl let me give you a, a picture of what cornice bowl looks like 
Cornish Bowl, when the powder is good and the wind is blowing, it blows up the side of the mountain and it creates a lip on the side of Cornish Bowl. And, and people have to drop into the lip at Cornish Bowl. And my buddy Kurt said, all right, if you want to go to the top, you've got to drop in to Cornish Bowl. Because anybody who's been a man, they know what Cornish Bowl is. And he was right. When I came back and was like, I dropped into Cornish Bowl. They're like, you dropped into Cornish Bowl? I was like, I dropped into Cornish Bowl. Like, yeah. And I was like, yeah. Right? And by drop in, what I mean is uh, I was sitting on the edge of this thing. And when you sit on the edge, you can't see the run. You have to sit up. And my buddy Kurt, I'm looking at him. And, and for, for, for context, my buddy Kurt, I wanted to make sure he was having fun. He's an incredible athlete. And, and for context, he said, skiing's my best sport. And if I say that to you, that means nothing. But Kurt was a f professional baseball player drafted by the Braves in the 90s. Amen. Go Braves. No, that didn't go. All right. Uh, anyway, sore losers. And, uh, and, and, yeah, uh, and yet Kurt was drafted in 99 by the Braves, and, and he is a professional baseball player, and yet he says skiing is my best sport. I mean, this guy is hitting jumps on the mountain and going, and we go up to the top, and I trust Kurt. I'm like, hey, man, uh, what do you think? And he's like, you're going to need to sit on your butt and just go to the edge, and then I want you to go down on your edge, just on your hillside, and then you might end up on your butt, whatever, first 20 yards are going to be difficult, and then after that, you're going to be good, and, 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 and I, I have a few more conversations with him, you know, hey man, uh, and he goes, man, just go on your butt, you're going to be fine, and so I finally look at him, and, and, and I go, okay, uh, I guess I'm going, and he starts down the run, and, and he stops midway down, because apparently good skiers can do that, and so he, he stops, and he looks back at me, and I'm like, well, I guess he's not coming back up, so I got to follow him down, and, and so I go to stand up on my back edge, and immediately hit my butt, and down I go, man. I'm on my back, and it was super hot and so the snow is coming up my sweatshirt I just have a sweatshirt on and ice and I, I, I have to throw my front edge like I should have done some yoga to do this to start you know I gotta throw my front edge just to get me to stop and I, it wasn't 20 yards I think I went 40 yards down the faces thing on my back as fast as I could go let me just tell you for those who are judging me just go home on YouTube and type in cornice bowl fail and you're gonna see what exactly what I did friend Okay, so I'm not the only one to judge me, right? And, and, and so uh, Kurt comes down, he skis, throws his skis up, throws snow on me as I'm just trying to wipe off my goggles. Like, what happened? He's like, I was just like, don't panic, dude, don't panic. Just hold on. And, and I looked up at him and I said, this is going to be in a sermon, right? Like, this is going in a sermon. First thing I thought. And, and I, I skied down and I'd FaceTime my wife at the top and then I'd FaceTime her at lunch and she was like, whoa, you, you made it down really, you're already down. I was like, yeah, that's right. You married a stud. You know, I didn't tell her about the whole thing right off the bat, you know, it's like, yeah, you know, and it was funny when we got to, to lunch and I just tell you, Joe was down at the bottom waiting on us because he wasn't about to go up there. And, uh, and, and, and we got around the table and, and hearing Kurt begin to tell the story different than I and I looked at Kurt, I was like, man, did I look nervous? He was like, oh yeah, you look nervous. 
was like, oh man. And he starts telling Joe the story. And he's like, you know, like Sam asked me the same question three times and just ignored. So he, and Kurt starts telling Joe, he's like, he looked at me and he was like, so Kurt, what do you think? And I was like, well, man, you, you know, it's steep, man. It's really steep. It's steeper than I remember. And you're going to need to go down on your butt, on your edge. And, um, and, and it'd be fine. And I go, so what do you think? <laughs> He's like, man, it's really steep. You'll, you'll need to go down on your toe edge and, and you might hit your butt for the first 40 yards. Uh, and he looks at Joe and he's like, it's this moment in golf when the caddy knows that <clears throat> the player doesn't have the shot in his bag, but he doesn't want to get, give him any uh, lack of confidence. So he's like, yeah, you got this, man. Right? And Kurt's looking at me like, knowing I don't have this shot in my bag, but he's like, you can do it, man. You can't do it. Right? <laughs> and he's thinking, he's telling Joe like, man, that's what it was like. And, and, and then Sam the third time looks at me and goes, so what do you think? <laughs> As if I, and he goes, he just wanted me to say something different. He just, I told him the same thing. And the third time I go, man, you know, if you don't feel like you can go down, there is another way down, but it's a long way down and we'll make our way back. And it's kind of out of bounds, but we can do it. Three times he told me the answer. Three times he told me the truth and three times over, I wanted a different answer. How many of us can relate to that? How many times does the truth stand us in the face? How many times do we ask Jesus for an answer? How many times do we go to the scripture and go, what about this forgiveness thing? And he tells us and we go, yeah, 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 but what do you think? How many times do we go, yeah, well, there's this marriage thing. How do, how, do I, how do I get better at this? How do I do that? And he tells us in his word. And we go, yeah, yeah, yeah. But what do you think? How many times does he tell us about sexuality? How, does he, how many times does he tell us about how we're supposed to interact with the world around us? How we, how we handle conflict? And when he gives us the answer, we go, yeah, yeah. But give me a different answer. Man, this is the truth. This is what you have to wrestle with beyond your association, beyond group think. This isn't a collective bargaining agreement. It isn't looking at what's popular because see, Pilate was facing riots of what was popular, confronted with the truth. He has a choice. You are confronted with the truth no matter what is popular. You have to wrestle with the truth stands and looks me in the face and I gotta go, will I cower to political power? That's what he's facing. Will I cower to the mob? Can cancel culture? Or will I look at the face of Jesus when he tells me what is true? Will I constantly look to others to give me a different answer? Or will I believe that his kingdom is not of this world? He is actually king and Lord, and he rules, changing the hearts and lives of men and women for thousands of years. And now you are awakened. You're no longer blind, but you can see. But the question is, when you see the contrast, when you see yourself at the crossroads of truth and what you want, which way will you go? Who will you follow? Will you constantly say, yeah, 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 but give me a different answer? See, friends, we're in a culture today, and we as people have to realize that we have to stand on truth. See, Jesus' posture was meek and love, but it was truth. 
At one point, Pilate's going to say, aren't you going to beg for your life? I have the authority to take your life or give it. He says, the only authority you have has been given to you. Every person in authority, every parent, every spouse, every teacher, every lawyer, every judge, every police officer, every Supreme Court justice has to wrestle with who's in charge and what is truth. What is truth and who's in charge? Friend, we live in a culture today where a Supreme Court justice nominee will not give a definition and define what a woman is. It doesn't matter what the mob says. It doesn't matter what political powers say. It doesn't matter if, well, what about my job? Who's in charge and what is true? What about my business? If I, if I, if I say truthful things, who's in charge and what is true? Like Pilate, like Peter, we are confronted. Will you ask him for a different answer or will you follow him down the mountain? Will it be difficult? Yes. It will be worth it because the truth will set you free. We stand with meekness, with love, but we stand like the Son of God speaking the truth. And what you'll see over the next few weeks is the truth is sharp and powerful. And even our opponents will be impacted and shaken by the truth of who Jesus is. For the light shines into the darkness and the darkness cannot overcome it. It's not like Peter. It's not in revolt. It's not in revolution. It's in through our good works, we reveal to others just who Jesus is for his glory and our good. Will you pray with me? Gracious Heavenly Father, we thank you for who you are and who you are to us. We ask for your grace that you help us to know the truth, to follow the truth, and that the truth will set us free. It won't be political persuasion, ideology, the fear of man or the mob. It will be that we stand and look at the Son of God, the person of Jesus, and we say he is the embodiment of truth. For this purpose you came, that you would bear witness of the truth. And everyone who is of the truth listens to my voice. Let us listen and follow. Even if it's not the answer we want, we know it's the answer we need. And we'll follow you for your glory and the good of everyone around us. And everybody said, amen. Amen. Will you give Jesus one more hand clap of praise?